tonight. What a word from the word from Brother Malcolm and then all this great music, praise and worship and Brother Charles, your hospitality and your love and just uh, make us feel so welcome. We love you, man, and it's a joy uh, to be back in my home state of Texas where every molehill's a mountain, every dry creek's a river, and every man's a liar. It's great to be home. Now, I am a Texan, and I'm glad to be here tonight, and I've been so blessed. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. Psalms 1. And I want to preach tonight on this subject, a happy new year. A happy new year. From the book of Psalms, chapter 1. And I'll begin to read in verse 1. And the Bible says in Psalms 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does, it shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but they're like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. O God, I ask that... You give me a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit tonight. That you put the message of the moment right on the tip of my tongue. Clear my mind of all distractions. And may we be spiritually spellbound. Lord, I confess the devil's defeated foe. Jesus Christ, you are Lord of all. And I pray this prayer tonight, O oh God, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I think some people feel that it's unspiritual to be happy. They feel like God doesn't want us to be happy. That you can't be holy and happy. And you say, why do you say that? Because I look at the countenance of so many people in the church today. And I'm just saying, if you've got sunshine in your soul, you're going to have a smile on your face. The Scripture teaches us that we're to have a merry heart the Bible teaches us that even when we give, we're to do it with a cheerful attitude. The Bible speaks of gladness of heart. The Bible speaks of joy. And the Bible speaks of rejoicing. And when I speak of happiness, I speak of the God kind of happiness. A happiness that's not regulated by happenings. That is not regulated by our circumstances. But it's deep and it's lasting it's a contentment and it's a joy that's deep down in our soul. So I believe it is the will of God for the people of God to enjoy their Christian life and to experience true happiness in the Lord Jesus Christ. The scripture begins here with the word blessed. It says, blessed is the man. And that word blessed means happy. Divinely happy is the man. It's not in the singular. It's in the plural. 
So literally in the Hebrew, what it means is this. Happy, happy is the man. So I want to speak tonight about how you can be happy, happy. We get the advice right here from the Word of God. First of all, if you want to have a happy new year, you need to be careful in your relationships. Be careful in your relationships. You know, for many years when I talk about dating as a pastor in the church, and may I say, I sometimes feel when I talk about dating, it's water off a duck's back, it's spitting it to wind. Sometimes people I don't think really want to listen to what I've got to say about that subject. And all kinds of folks are dating. You've got young folks dating. You've got older folks dating. But I always say the same thing. I say, never date anyone but a born-again Christian. Every date is a potential mate. And then one day, I thought, I'm not saying that right. I changed the way I began to preach that. And I began to preach to our congregation about dating. I would say, only date growing born-again believers because an unspiritual, carnal believer will drag you down as fast as somebody who does not know Christ as their Savior. I think that's a good word of advice for Christians in every relationship. I believe the wrong friendships will drag you down and rob you of happiness. In fact, I believe that a Christian has to be very careful as they build relationships and friendships with others. Notice how specific the Word of God is about the relationships we're to have with people. Notice the Bible says, Happy, happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, the word walk there speaks of the general course and the conduct of our Christian life. So the Scripture says here, happy is the person who does not go to lost people for advice. Happy is the person who does not listen to lost people to develop a world view. Happy is the person who does not go to the world to get the information they feel like is going to give their life motivation to succeed. The Bible says we're not to seek the counsel of the ungodly. Now, the ungodly are those who do not know God. And I want you to know that those who say that they believe in God but are what I call practical atheists, they live as if they're no God, they're just as destructive. Now, the world out there sounds very seductive, and I'm very concerned about millennials and young people in our churches today, even young couples, because that lost world out there, when they speak, they appeal to the emotions, and they appeal to the flesh, and they appeal to that old Adamic nature in us that we should keep on the cross. You see, the Bible, the Word of God says, tune out the world. Get God's counsel. The Bible says that marriage is between a man and a woman. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. The counsel of God says that is marriage. The Scripture, the Word of God says, whatever you were born, that's what you are. If you were born a boy, you're always going to be a boy. If you were born a girl, you're always going to be a girl. It doesn't matter what the world says. So we don't seek the counsel of the world. I've seen people's marriages destroyed. 
because one of them became a friend with someone who was not a believer, who was ungodly. And they begin to listen to their counsel and listen to their advice. And suddenly they're seeing problems in a marriage where there were no problems. So I'm saying in the building of your relationships, you need to seek the counsel of spirit-filled godly people because let me tell you something, my friend. Wisdom doesn't come from the world. Wisdom comes from God. You can have knowledge but not have wisdom because wisdom is the right use of knowledge. James says wisdom comes from above. And when we ask of God, he'll give it to us in liberal measure. Remember the story of Simon Peter when the Lord said to him, Who do men say that I am? And he said, Well, some say you're Jeremiah, and some say you're John the Baptist. Come back from the dead, or you're one of the great prophets. But Jesus said, But Simon Peter, who do you say that I am? He said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So instead of seeking counsel from the ungodly and building a close relationship with the ungodly, seek the wisdom of God and surround yourself with people who know God, people who love God, people who listen to God, and people who want to talk like God. But notice something else. I said it's very specific about the relationships that we have. The Bible says, happy, happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of godly, nor stands in the path of sinners. Now, people say, well, you know, Jesus was the friend of sinners. And I've, just, I've really got to get out here in the world and become like the world if I'm going to reach the world. But you need to understand that when Jesus befriended sinners, it was for the purpose of reaching them with the gospel. And we are not to lower our convictions or lower our biblical standards to seek to build a relationship or a friendship with someone. The Scripture says, yes, Jesus was the friend of sinners, but look what happened when he encountered sinners. The Scripture says one day Jesus Christ is going through Jericho, and he stops at a tree because there's a little man up in the top of that tree, and his name is Zacchaeus. He's a thief. He is a con man. He takes advantage of his position as a tax collector to literally rob the people blind. Jesus Christ didn't say, well, you know, if I'm going to reach him, I need to start robbing people. So let me see if I can rob somebody so that we can connect and I can reach him with the gospel. No, the Bible says Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree and I'm going home to have lunch with you. Now, I know what happened when they had lunch because when Zacchaeus came out of the lunch, he wasn't the same man as the one that went in the lunch. When he came out of that lunch, he said, my life has been changed. I've been nothing but a thief. And he says, I'm going to pay back you fourfold for the money I've stolen from you. What happened? Jesus sat across from him. Jesus gave him the gospel. Jesus preached repentance and faith to him. He trusted Christ as his Savior, and he stands there by Jesus. And Jesus says, Exhibit A, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. So there is a point that we cannot go beyond in building a friendship. We cannot lower our standard of conviction 
in trying to win somebody to Jesus Christ, if we want to get them out of darkness, we got to shine the light and dispel it. Or what about that day that Jesus was in Samaria and he goes and he sits at that well and he's got a divine appointment and a woman arrives at that well and she was a sinner. And uh, he says, where is your husband? And she says, I don't have a husband. He says, that's right. You have been married and divorced five times. And the man you're living with right now is not your husband. He said, I want to tell you something. If you drink the water in that well, you'll thirst again. But if you drink the water I give you, you'll never thirst. And that woman decided to drink that water and to receive Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior, and she was never, ever the same. So the Lord was the friend of sinners that he might be clear and give them the gospel and call them to repentance and faith. God hasn't called us to be popular. God has called us to be faithful and true to his word and to be light in darkness and salt in a turbulent world. But notice, I said it's specific about our relationships. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Now, the word scornful speaks of someone who makes light of God's law, somebody who makes fun of the Scripture. And I get concerned when I see young people going off to the university. I'm hoping they're grounded in their faith because when that man stands up there with all those degrees and he begins to cast doubt on the Word of God and the values of the Scripture, it's so enticing the way he says that. When I came out of Moody Bible, when I came out of high school, I went to study for the ministry at Moody Bible Institute. And I'm telling you, I got nothing for three solid years but the Word of God. I'm telling you, they, they crossed every T, dotted every I, every comma. It was the Word of the living God. No one ever stood before us in a chapel service, did not believe the inerrancy of the Word of God. They, they, they just saturated us with the Word of God. And when I finished, because at that time it was a three-year course of study, I had to transfer it all to somewhere to get a bachelor's degree. And so I enrolled at a liberal arts college. It was Christian liberal arts college, not a Baptist college, but supposedly an evangelical college. And as I sat there taking some courses, I began to realize this is a liberal Bible department. These people are all messed up. And all these young people, they're just sitting there. They're, they're listening to this guy. And he's saying, now, the first gospel was Mark. And all the rest of the gospels were copied from Mark. And anything that you don't find in Mark that's in Matthew and Luke and John, it's in a Q document over here. They got out of this Q document. And I said, it takes more faith to believe there's some invisible Q document than for me just to believe that the Holy Spirit of God moved on Matthew and said, write this down. Moved on Mark and said, write this down. Moved on Luke and John and said, write this down. And he just, he just brushed me off. And the head of the Bible department, he didn't like Baptist. And he knew I was going to be a Baptist preacher. And so he had tried to put me on the spot. 
And I'll tell you, God, God brought home to me a verse. I know you've probably read it in Matthew 10, where his disciples are going to go out two by two. And he says, when you go out, don't worry about what you ought to say. I know you're just a bunch of common, everyday, ordinary people. They're going to bring you before religious councils. Don't worry about what you ought to say. I'm going to put in your mouth exactly what you ought to say at the time you need to say it. And it happened to me in this class with the head of the Bible department. And uh, he was talking about the flood in Noah's day. And he didn't believe in a universal flood. And uh, he looked at me and he, he, he mocked me. He said, Mr. Revis, he said, do you believe in a universal flood? That the flood was all the way around the world? And I said, yes, I do. And he mocked and laughed at me. He said, well, I want to ask you something. How did God get those kangaroos from Australia on the boat? And he just laughed about that. And boy, God gave me the word. I looked at him and I said, doctor, and I said his name. I said, doctor so-and-so, I just believe if God is a big enough God to make a kangaroo, he's a big enough God to get him on the boat. Well, he didn't want to say anything else. But I thought about the other young people around there. And I'm telling you, we're living in a day and age where people mock the Word of God, but I just want to stand up here one more time and tell you this is not just a book. This is the inerrant, this is the infallible Word of the living God. And I want to tell you there was a real Noah and there was a real ark and there was a real flood and there was a real Jonah who got swallowed up by a great fish that vomited him up after three days and three nights. And there was a real Jesus Christ and he was born of a virgin and he lived a sinless life and he raised the dead and he cleansed the leper and he made the blind to see and he walked on the water and the dead aren't really dead. There's a place called heaven and it's where my friend we never grow old and the sun never sets and that's all taught in the living word of God. So I'm going to preach the word and I'm going to stand on the word and I'm going to believe the word and let me tell you right now I'm not hanging out with anybody that mocks the Word of God. So you want to be happy, happy? Not just happy, you want to be happy, happy. Then you need to be careful in your relationships and think about Lot. Look at the progress here. First of all, there's bad counsel who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Then there is evil deeds and evil lifestyle standing in the path of sinners. And then there's total apostasy and falling away from the faith, nor sitting in the seat of the scornful. And you remember the story of how Abraham took his family down to Egypt, made a terrible decision. And when he got down there, he got to thinking about how pretty his wife was and how Pharaoh would want her for his harem. And he said, now, if Pharaoh wants you, don't tell him we're married. They'll kill me to get you. You talk about how low when a God's people can get and how we need to be careful about who we're around and the advice we get from them. He said, you tell them that you're my sister. And so sure enough, Pharaoh found out about this pretty woman. He brings her into his harem. But then the judgment of God begins to fall. He's awakened to the fact that that's her husband out there. He sends her back and he says, why didn't you tell me that you were the husband? And so then they venture back home. Well, his flocks and herds grow, and his nephew Lot's flocks and herds grow, and their, their hired help begin to fight. 
And he says, we got too many here. We're too crowded. He says, you just look out there and you just, you just look what lands you want and that's what I'll give you. And so the scripture says that he looked out there towards Sodom. And listen to this, it reminded him of Egypt. Now, how did he know what Egypt looked like? Because Abraham drug his nephew down to Egypt. You need to be careful about the counsel and the influence of people, even in the church. So this is what happened. First of all, Lot looks towards Sodom. And then he pitches his tent in the direction of Sodom. Then he moves into Sodom. Then he sits down in Sodom. And then Sodom is in him. Be careful in your relationships. But here's the second piece of advice. Not only be careful in your relationships if you're going to be happy, happy. You need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit makes Baptist folks nervous when you talk about the Holy Spirit. And if you say Holy Ghost, they'll jump a little. I mean, that really makes them nervous. <laughs> but the Bible says that when Jesus was baptized and they brought him up out of the water, the heavens were parted and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And in the very next chapter in Luke, we find that in Luke 3 and Luke 4, Jesus is in the synagogue and he's preaching. He takes the scroll of Isaiah, puts his finger on that passage that describes him. And it says, the Holy Spirit has anointed me to preach the gospel. So the victory, the fruitfulness, and the effectiveness that Jesus enjoyed in his earthly ministry, living and ministering in a human body, he did under the anointing and the authority of the Holy Spirit. So the scripture teaches us that as believers, we have all the Holy Spirit. If you're saved, you got all the Holy Spirit there is. The Holy Spirit is a person and you don't get pieces of a person. You don't get his knees and then his ankles and then you're going to go to a prayer retreat and get the rest of him. If you don't have him, you need to get saved because when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. But the issue is, does the Holy Spirit who lives in you, does he have all of you? Are you controlled by the Holy Spirit? Now it takes two things to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. First of all, you've got to be saturated with the Word of God. Saturated with the Word of God. The Scripture says in verse 2, but his delight, whose delight? The happy, happy guy. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord, that's the Word of God. Now notice he delights in it. It was the Apostle John that wrote in 1 John that the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. When you delight in the Word of God, you believe it's the Word of God. When you delight in the Word of God, you appreciate the Word of God. When you delight in the Word of God, you receive the Word of God. When you delight in the Word of God, you apply the Word of God to your life and you live out the Word of God. It says you delight in the Word of God. And if you say that you are growing in your Christian faith and you have no desire for the Word of God, I don't know what you're growing in, but you're not growing in your Christian faith. And let me tell you, we're talking here about a discipline. The Bible says the key to delighting in the Word of God is meditation. That's the word it uses. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in the Word, his law, he meditates 
day and night. Now, when the Bible talks about meditating on the word or meditation, it's not talking about transcendental meditation. And it's not talking about you getting a yoga pose and vacating your brain. Let me tell you, you don't want to, you don't want to vacate your thoughts or your brain. Or let me tell you, the devil will fill the vacancy. This word meditate literally means to mutter. It means to talk to yourself means to sort of talk under your breath. The idea really is taking the Word of God and rolling it over and over and over like a hard rock candy. Just rolling it over. Take a passage. Take a verse. You roll it over and over and over and, 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 and you're just going to get everything out of it you can. You, your mind dwells on it. I have a guilty pleasure and I've really tried to break free from it because my dentist not going to be happy with me, but there's, and don't, please don't bring me any. I told our church, so I use this illustration because Pastor Appreciation Day, if I mention anything, I'm going to get a bushel, bucket, I mean, bucket full of them. And I said, do not bring this to me. I don't need this, but I love this. I love blow pops. <laughs> and if I'm around my grandkids and they've got blow pops, I'm going to need a blow pop with them. I don't like Tootsie Roll Pops. I like Blow Pops. Now I'm going to tell you what, it's wonderful. It's, it, you put that in your mouth and, man, you roll your tongue around that. You just, uh, you just savor it. You don't chew it. You just, you just roll it over and over and over in your mouth and you can sense when you're coming, it's just barely got a little of that candy around it. And I'm telling you, it is a thrill when suddenly you bite down and cracks through into that bubble gum. Oh my goodness. That's a great illustration of meditating on the Word of God. Brother, you roll the Word of God over and over and over and over and over and you savor in it. It's a discipline. You talk to yourself. You see, this is what you ought to do. You get that passage of Scripture. You get that Word. And you ask questions to it. You say, is there any promise in this verse for me to claim? Is there any sin mentioned in this verse I need to avoid? Is there any prayer in this verse I need to echo? Is there any blessing in this verse... I'm supposed to enjoy. A great Christian leader I so admire once said, discipline, not desire, determines destiny. There's no shortcut to spiritual maturity. We must discipline our spiritual lives by delighting in the Word of God, setting our mind on the Word of God, and literally squeezing everything we can out of the Word of God. And it is the Word of God, when we're saturated with it, delighting in it, that will release in us the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We're to be saturated with the Word of God. And then we're to be yielded with the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the most beautiful pictures of a believer in the Bible is right here in this scripture. The Bible says, he, who is this he again? Verse That's happy, happy. That's the happy man, the happy woman. It says, he shall be like a tree. Well, that speaks of life. 
What is a Christian? Somebody who's been made alive by the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I had a religion and I was dead, had no spiritual appetites. There's a big difference. That's why you're so miserable. That's why your face is so long. That's why you're not happy, happy. You're not even single happy. You're not even happy. Let me tell you something, my friend. You are sour. I had a lady in our church many years ago. I was talking about your countenance. She met me out there in the vestibule and she said with a long, sour face, I'd really never noticed it. She said, you were talking about me, weren't you? And uh, I just began to look at her and thought, well, I guess I was. I thought about what Billy Sunday said when somebody confronted him about something. He said, you throw a rock at a pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one you hit. So you need to think about that before you give the preacher a hard time. Brother, let me tell you, I had religion. There's misery in religion. The most miserable person in this building is not a lost sinner. They don't have the good sense to realize their situation. It's a person who's trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. But you're going in the wrong direction, listening to the wrong counsel, and you're not delighting in the Word of God, and there's no discipline. And you're not under the Word. You're not in a small group at church. You're not, you're not faithful in your attendance to the Word of God. You say, well, we came tonight, but this COVID's got us shook up. You're going to Walmart. You go roller skating. You go bowling. You've been to Six Flags. You were at the Dallas Cowboy game last week. Let me tell you something, my friend. You do what you want to do. And I'm telling you, you got to have the Word of God in your life. It's more than just emotion. You got to get the meat of the Word. The Bible says we're, we're a tree. Life. But notice this, it's a tree that's planted. Now, where I came from in Texas, I didn't know there's anywhere in Texas it looked like around here. I grew up way up there in the panhandle north of Amarillo. And we never really went anywhere. And uh, you can drive between Amarillo and all the way up there state line, and it just looks like a moonscape, all of you folks that have been up there. But every once in a while, you'll see some trees. And let me tell you what that tells you. Used to be a farmhouse there. Somebody planted that tree. That tree didn't just grow wild. Now notice the Bible says this tree, it says somebody planted this tree. This was a tree that was planted. And I want you to know Jesus Christ saved you and God has a plan for your life. And instead of trying to get out of wherever you are, you hate your job. You don't like your ministry. How about just say, Lord, you planted me here, so I'm going to bloom where I planted. And let me tell you this, since he planted us, we can't be uprooted. And when the wind blows, we may bend, but we won't break because we are rooted and grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ. But look, it gets better. It says like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And that word rivers there means an irrigation channel. In other words, whoever planted this tree dug a channel from a source of water to that tree so that tree was never without water. And what did Jesus say to the woman at the well? He says, you're going to have a fountain of, of living water in your soul. That's why the old time preacher taught, he was preaching on that where it says she left her water pots. He said, man, who needs the bucket when you got the well? Hallelujah, man, she got the well. One day on the feast day, Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come to me 
and out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Brother, there's a river flowing in you. You've got an endless supply of love. You've got an endless supply of peace and patience and kindness and long suffering. I'm telling you, everything you need is in Christ and there's a, a rushing flowing river. But the Lord didn't just want the river to flow to you. He wants the river to flow through you. The Bible says it is a tree planted by rivers of art. Listen to this, that brings forth its fruit in its season. You see, different seasons will see the produce of different fruits. And some tonight in this place are going through a season of adversity right now. You're going through a season of difficulty. And what you've thought is, I just need to make it through. I just need to make it through. What you need to understand, the Lord planted you. And He planted you to produce fruit through you. And in this season of adversity, there is different kinds of fruit that's unique to this season that He's going to produce in you that you would have never experienced unless you had been in this season. I'm telling you the fruit of faith and the fruit of endurance and the fruit of perseverance. I'm telling you, he's going to drive that root system deeper and he's going to produce a fruit in you. You look back and say that season is what has made me what I am to this very day. 1989, 1989 was the most difficult year of my ministry. I was in a church. It wasn't a good match. It was kind of hike of fluting. Uh, my wife told me before we went, I think this is a mistake, but if you say go, we're going to go. Randy Travis had a hit that year called I Told You So. <laughs> and every time that came on the radio, she'd dart her eyes over and look at me. And I was like, I, I know you're right, man. I'm wrong. And I had physical issues, a physical issue. They put me on sulfa drugs and different things and lost my appetite. And we just sat around, cried all the time. And, but I've got my utmost for his highest that I was doing my devotions in. And I, I go back, when I'm going through it, uh, you know, usually once a year, I, I see things that I underline during that season in my life. And I want to tell you, what the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. Amen. And I want to tell you, there are insights. There is knowledge. There is wisdom. There is endurance. There's perseverance. There's patience that God built in me in 1989 that's blessing me to this day. So I'm just, I, I came tonight to tell you in this season, if you yield to the Holy Spirit, he'll produce specific fruit in you that's in season. Man, it's just absolutely wonderful. And the Bible says, whatever he does, whatever happy, happy does, shall prosper. That means you'll be victorious, you'll be fruitful, you'll be successful, you're not a dud, you're not a loser. Stop acting like it. Get happy. Listen, all of the Holy Ghost of God is in you, child of God. You're rooted and grounded in Him. He's bearing fruit of you in the midst of the storm. Be careful in your relationships. Number two, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And here's a third piece of advice. Be confident in your salvation. 
be confident in your salvation. How on earth can you be happy if you're not even sure you're saved? You say, well, I hope I'm saved. What, what I think I'm saved. I might be, no, this is not hope, think so, might be so. This is a no-so thing. This is, I need to drive the nail down tonight. Let me help you understand this. It's going to be hard to, happy, to be happy when you really think about how, how lost lost is. Look what it says about the lost. It says the ungodly are not so. They're like chaff. Chaff, that's the, that's the shell around the wheat. After harvest, it's, it's separated. It, it blows away in the wind. It, it's, it's worthless and useless. It's the outside without the inside. The Bible says the ungodly, they're like chaff, which the wind drives away. The ungodly shall not stand in the, in the day of judgment. That means they have no defense. That means lost people stand at the great white throne judgment. They have no righteousness. They have no defense. And the Bible says, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. You'll never go to heaven. The congregation of the righteous, glory in heaven. That wonderful place called paradise. Someone said that a lost sinner would be as out of place in heaven as a fish is up a tree. Let me, let me explain something to you, my friend. If you're not saved, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. But think about the saved, if you're saved. Man, I may be happy, happy, happy. Because the Bible says in verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And did you know in the tense of the Hebrew, it literally is saying, for the Lord is knowing the way of the righteous. Which means he knows where you live. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you need. But he knows you. He has an intimate relationship with you. And when it says is knowing, it means he's getting to know you better every single day. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. You know, if you're not saved, I, I'm just telling you right now, if you're looking for happiness in another man, another woman, another house, another job, another toy, another pleasure, another amusement, another pill, another thrill, all that's chaff. And child of God, if you think that you're going to have a happy Christian life, if you're going after the same stuff for happiness that the lost are, you're going to be miserable. You know, this thing's not complicated. It's not complicated. Happiness is not complicated. When, when, I, when I came out of high school and went up there north, I, I had to go to those churches up there. And... You know, they would sing songs. This will shock you. They were actually singing some songs, even some choruses, all the way back, all those years ago. Songs I'd never heard before. I'd be sitting in church and say, you know, I'd never heard that song before. Now, I want to tell you what I didn't do. I didn't get out a piece of paper, write a little ugly note to the minister of music, not sign it, and stick it in the offering plate, and then sit there looking like I was sucking an egg. I didn't do that. But that's another message for another service. <laughs> but 
But they sang a song. You're probably familiar with this song, but I don't know. I never heard this song until I went off to school. And it just said, happiness is to know the Savior. Living a life in His favor. Having a change in my behavior. Happiness is the Lord. Happiness is a new creation. Jesus and me in close relation. Having a part in His salvation. Happiness is the Lord. And I always love the chorus. Real joy is mine, even when the teardrops start. For I found the secret. It's Jesus in my heart. And then they go back. Happiness is to know the Savior, living a life within His favor, having a change in my behavior. Happiness is the Lord. I'm telling you tonight, Happiness is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's all stand together. In a moment, we're going to have some music. Brother Charles is going to come down here. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you need to get saved. You just tell him, preacher, I'm not sure if I die tonight, I'm going to heaven. I want to make sure I'm saved. And uh, so I'm going to pray a prayer, and then uh, they're going to start singing. And... uh, The pastor is here. These altars are open. And Holy Spirit, I pray you'll take the Word of God and you'll make the application. In Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Amen.